Let's look at, at Scripture and be prepared to come and celebrate Holy Communion. This is John 6, verses 41 through 51. We're continuing in the series, The Red Letters of John. We're looking specifically at what Jesus said, the way Jesus lived, as, so that we might experience the life that he came to give. And, and that's what the sermon title is, The Giver. So John chapter 6, verses 41 through 51. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless, by the, unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Christ, I pray now that we would truly, well, through your power, Holy Spirit, that we would be able to come to this passage afresh, that we would share the words more than the words in our hearts, in our minds, at least those words that that don't belong to you. We pray that we would hear your voice louder. We pray that we would especially hear the words of life and follow no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, and no matter why we're here. I I pray that we would experience healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you all know what leaven is? Leaven, that's kind of a a biblical word in the New Testament that the you know, uh, crops up, pops up in the, that culture. It's just, it's a substance, usually uh, yeast, and it's a substance that you put in dough, and it's a little substance. And over time, pretty quickly, that leaven ends up permeating the entire lump of dough, of dough right? So that's what leaven is. It, it eventually transforms the entire lump. This little thing will make its way through and transform the entire lump of dough. Y'all, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I was talking about one lump. Keep that in mind. Jesus here, well, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he uses a metaphor. He tells a parable, a story, and he, he, he says the kingdom of heaven is like Leaven. This is what he says. I'm going to read it. It's just one verse. Really quick parable in Matthew 13, 33. He's, 
It goes like this. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took, or leaven, that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. And then he moves on. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit, little bit of yeast. Woman takes, mixes it in with three measures of flour. Anybody have any idea how much three measures of flour is? A lot? A little? It's a lot. It is a whole lot. In fact, you would need like a rolling pin about the size of Fiona, Fiona Rook, to kind of knead all that dough. It's a lot of dough. Little bit of leaven. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that little bit of leaven that enters in, is incarnated, and it ends up transforming or causing all of the dough to rise over time. I think what Jesus means by that metaphor helps us, that that parable helps us with his teaching here in John 6, when he talks about himself being the flesh that gives life to the world. I think literally that he's using a metaphor or a story to say that, well, Mary, the mother of God, is this woman, gives birth to this yeast, this leaven that will actually, whose flesh will transform the entire lump. It's mysterious, right? But I'm just trying my best to understand what's actually being said here with that parable, with Jesus' teaching in John 6, that's good news. Remember, if, if you begin, and this is what we, this is so hard for Westerners, we, we're so used to, be given, to beginning, like our, we begin our worldview with the individual, and then we go out from there. That is not helpful, actually. We, we need to begin with the whole lump, as it were, the corporate, the universal, the whole lump, in order to understand the individual. And when you get that, well, salvation, really the, the West has done a, um, a disservice to, in my view, to all of Christendom by, by, th- by thinking of salvation as this privatized individual happening or experience. It's not what we see in Scripture. It begins with the whole, all of creation, and only then do you understand your place in this. And the more you meditate on that, the more you understand that, this is at least happening to me, the deeper, the better the gospel gets. Again, I think this is what Jesus means in John 6. He is the yeast whose flesh mixes in with three measures of flour, the whole world, and will leaven the whole lump. main teaching today, the flesh of Christ is the leaven for the lump. The flesh of Christ is the leaven for the lump. This is something that happens 
to us. This is why it's called gospel good news. It doesn't require you to do anything. <laughs> this has happened. It happened. Oh, and it is the leaven for the whole lump. Now, the question is, will we, by faith, live into this or not? That part is up to us. Okay. First, Christ is the fruit that undoes the forbidden fruit. Yeah, Jeremy. Okay. Okay. All right, good. We'll see if that. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I probably knocked it, the cord. Sorry. Um, Christ is the fruit that undoes the forbidden fruit. So, so we're, I'm just going with this notion of, G, of eating Jesus. You know, we'll, as we continue in John 6, there's clearly connotations of the Eucharist here. There's clearly connotations of, of or communion or the Lord's Supper. And so when Jesus talks about we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, well, he's actually hearkening back to Genesis 2 and 3. And I'm, I'm very thankful to a scholar named Raymond Brown who helped me with this this week. I, I've never noticed this before myself, but there is language in John 6, almost verbatim language, that is a direct correlation to Genesis 2 and 3. Let me show you. Genesis, Genesis 2, 2, verse 17. Now, you may remember uh, the forbidden fruit is that reference to the fruit that, that our first parents, as it were, ate and were cursed. And, and, and we're meant to think of this as sort of like a, a fairy tale that's, that's real. And so this, this language, uh, I think it's fine to think of it in terms of Cinderella and whatnot. Like, they ate this fruit and were cursed from that point on until the word became flesh. Here's what I mean. Genesis 2 verse 17 says this, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Okay. Genesis 2. John 6 verse 50 right here in our passage. Jesus says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Whoa. Okay. Genesis three twenty two. Then the Lord God said, see, the humans have become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now they might reach out their hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. John 6, verse 51, from our passage, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So they're banished from the garden so that they don't partake of this tree of life so that they might live forever. Jesus shows up as the fruit of that will reverse and undo the curse of the forbidden fruit. If you eat Jesus, good news, you now live forever. It's a complete re- redemption, you see. Okay, Genesis three twenty four. listen to this language. It says, then he drove out the humans, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. So they're banished, and there's a cherubim there that if you walk into this flaming sword, well, you're toast, right? That, that's how Genesis 
or at least the, the episode in the garden ends, Jesus shows up. This is from last week, but John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and to whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you, that's not a coincidence, friends. Do you see that? That language is very intentional there. Christ is the fruit that undoes the forbidden fruit, the curse of the forbidden fruit. Wow, it's amazing. So, okay, let's see if you can stay with me just, just for a bit longer here. Creation was, in effect, the first expression. With creation, we have God expressing God's self to the world, as it were, expressing love in love. Creation, therefore, is the first incarnation of God, creation, where God gives, expresses God's self in love. That's why God creates is in love. The only thing better than a perfect community, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is a perfect community made bigger, expanded. So God expresses God's self in love, Creation becomes the first incarnation of God. But what we see in Genesis 3 is our egos, as they they do every day, got in the way. In our egos, we separated, as it were, we separated the yeast from the lump. And it meant our death. The dough's going to die. So with Christ Jesus showing up, as John 1.14 says, the word, the very grain, let's, let's call him the leaven of the universe, shows up enfleshed. The word took on flesh. The second incarnation of God, as it were, where God now in Christ reunites with us, reunites with creation, giving us life. This, this is how big the gospel is that yes includes our little world our our little individual lives but friends we need a bigger you need a bigger gospel than just what's good for you as an individual you're actually connected to these other people their well-being is your well-being right and vice versa so this is what we're being told Jesus shows up as the fruit that if you eat, will undo the curse of the forbidden fruit of Genesis 3. Lastly, he tells us here, though, we, in order to see this, we have to be drawn from the Father. Okay, we have to be drawn from the Father. Look, look at verse 44 again in the text. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. Now, that's a reference to a bodily resurrection. That's where everything is headed. Okay, no one will see. We will not see the kingdom. This is, this, Jesus is not saying you're not in the kingdom. He is saying you will not see it. You will not realize what has happened unless the Father draws you. Now, this word for draw in the Greek, it's the same word, the exact same word used for the fishermen when, like the the, the disciples that say who were fishermen, when they um, cast their nets in the sea and drew in the fish. 
So this is the image we're meant to have. It's, it's really a pulling in, isn't it? It's really a, a dragging in. This is, so it's kind of, um, it doesn't do it justice to just think of in terms, it's not, it's not a wooing. This is the love of God will accomplish God's purpose. Like a magnet will draw, will pull people back into God. Infinite love. Not a matter of if, really, but, but when. It can be today for us. If we believe, Jesus says, we have, present tense, this eternal life today, right now. We experience it. It's activated. We realize it. The good news in this passage just, just gets better because he tells us who, who this will impact Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets. And this is from the passage later on that that Patty read. Later on it says this from Isaiah 54. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Wow, that's that's really good news. Do do we believe it? (laughs) Do we, do we believe like that? That is a bold claim. This has happened. We're all going to be taught this by God. We, we have a, a little bit of a part. The flesh of Christ. We have to consume Christ in order to see, in order to experience the life that the giver came to give. When we embrace this, particularly this, I think the one lump nature of the gospel with Jesus being the leaven for the whole lump, I think we, we start to experience this life Jesus is talking about. It's a lot better, even than maybe the life we used to live following this Jesus. It's a more expansive, magisterial gospel that needs to be un- unleashed on the world. The world, world is waiting for this, I believe. Okay, so this, this language of Jesus, of, of us eating his flesh, this is hard. This is hard to wrap our minds around, right? What, is, what does that mean? I mean, um, try, to, try, to put your, try to imagine that you're hearing this for the first time, and I'm up here saying, unless you eat the flesh of Jesus and drink the blood of Jesus, you have no life. Like, imagine, that's, that's a weird thing to say, right? Um, the, it's a wonder, well, actually, we'll see. When Jesus says this in the next passage, will people leave? It's a wonder y'all don't leave. Because I'm, I'm saying you got to eat this guy's body and you got to drink his blood, right? And for some reason we stay. So let me try to tell you what, the best as I can understand this, what Jesus means. It would be, it's sort of like when, when an artist creates something for the world, an artist is, is really, the best art is the art that is a piece of you. That's, it's authentic, it, it's, it's, it's vulnerable, it's really you that you are now going to express and give to the world. That's what art is, that's the best of what art is. And we even use that language, right? This artist created this, and, and the whole world is consuming it. Like right now, it's Taylor Swift. You know, we're all consuming everything she's throwing at us. We're like, yeah, this is, yeah, this is amazing. I don't care what anybody says, right? 
that's, it's sort of like this. An artist, well, God, <laughs> expresses God's self very vulnerably. It doesn't get more vulnerable than coming as a baby, exposed to the elements, to everything, living this life uh, as, a, as a poor person, as an oppressed person, at the bottom of the barrel kind of person, and then hanging naked on a cross. I mean, this is God. We don't talk about God enough in these terms as being, that's the, the most vulnerable thing. We talk about, Richard Ward talks about this a lot. We're really good about talking about how mighty God is. How often do we talk about how vulnerable that is? If you want to know anything, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. This is the master artist giving his flesh for the world to consume. And he's telling us, if we consume this art, if we believe it, if we, we live according to the way of Christ, we experience eternal life now. I think that's, that's kind of the best I can do to, under, to try to articulate what he means by, by eating his flesh, consuming his flesh. If we do this, and consume the essence of Christ, live according to his way, where well, we actually enter into a new reality. This is what he tells us. Look, look at verses 48 through 50. A new reality is born. We are born again, as it were, into a new reality that looks like this. Verses 48 through 50. This is another really bold claim. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. That is a whole new world, isn't it? One that, well, really death has lost its sting. It it looks final, but it's really not. It's just a veil. It's just a veil. Into... (laughs) This lump, as it were, God. All right, let me finish with this. Um, so <clears throat> when I preached this at the prison, uh, I don't, probably about four or five weeks ago now, that is when I, when I started into John 6, and it begins with the, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, which you probably heard me say was really more than 10,000 people because they only counted the men in this culture. And, you know, Jesus, it's very clear from the outset of John 6, and, and I'm not the only one that says this. This has been, you know, ever since John was written, people knew that there were intentional connotations of the Eucharist or, or communion or the Lord's Supper. And so Jesus kind of first shows this miracle as a sign to, to reveal what is really going on at communion even, we might say. And, and, you know, in, in some traditions, a lot, probably most traditions, there's what's called the fencing of the table. Do y'all know what this is? Where, um, or, or a closed communion where only some can partake and others can't. I mean, it, it, there's no way around it. It ends up feeling like some are worthy and others are not, right? Well, uh, after, after preaching this at the prison, uh, our dear brother, Ross, who is 
in Saudi Arabia right now, serving our country admirably. He came up to me afterwards, and, you know, he comes from one of these traditions that's really keen on fencing the table and putting walls up to keep certain people from taking communion. He goes, Chad, um, when Jesus fed the 5,000 on that hill, hill, he did so indiscriminately. There was no fencing of the table. Like, none. It's just, are you hungry? Here's food. <laughs> Period. Come, come. I, Jesus says, I eat of me indiscriminately. Are you alive? Are you a human being? Guess what? You need this leaven in your system to give you life. Come, come get it. Roth is right. This is a better gospel. Is it not? Okay. Jesus, what's good about this passage I, I couldn't help but think, you know, what, what's, where's the gospel in this passage? Let's, let's look at just a layer of it. Remember, it's really expansive, but here's a great layer of the gospel. I couldn't help of, but think of another passage where the very same Greek word is used, draw, which is really drag. And I, my mind went to John 12, verse 32. This is what Jesus will say later in this same book. And I, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, and John will say in the next verse, that means his crucifixion. When when Jesus was lifted up from the earth, will drag all people to myself. The love of God is going to win, friends. I, I don't, I don't have all the details of that. <laughs> so don't ask me. You can, we can talk about it. It's very mysterious, but that is good news. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen or when, but Jesus is saying that God's love will in the end draw all to God's self. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come now to, to eat your flesh, to drink your blood, This is just really good vegan bread that Patty made and wine and juice. But I do believe your presence is real in the midst of it. And as we partake of it and unite this sacrament with our bodies, the leaven enters in to our system and will Leaven the whole lump. Help us to feel it just a little bit. Experience it. Experience you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we're, we're going to... It's funny that we have more people here. Uh, the, the one time we, we go, we draw down to one station. But that's all right. That'll be cool. Um, so we have one station today here, and then uh, still in the back, my back right corner, there's the kits there if you want to stay away from, from all these germs. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm going to give some instructions now, and then we'll go through our liturgy, but I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. I think the best way to do this is if you could all sort of come down this aisle, and it'll take a little bit longer, but that's okay, because the song is long enough probably for us to all partake, all that want to. So come down this side, my right, and then come to this one station, and then you can recess back that way. Does that make sense?
So we're, we're even going to partake in the same line. So that'll be cool. So friends, uh, stand if you're able and let's prepare ourselves to come to the table by uh, confessing our faith together using the most ancient summary that we have of the Christian faith and the Apostles' Creed. So let's do so together. Let's confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's confess our sins so that we might experience this forgiveness which is ours in Christ Jesus. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not loved ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen.